0: Wow, that was just wonderful. Thank you so much, Stan, Eliana, and Tobin. A beautiful number. Thank you. Aren't you grateful that in even our brokenness that God shines? Yeah, that's what Christianity is all about. What does it mean to imitate God? The word imitate comes from a word that means to mimic. And back in Jesus' day, in Bible times, that word meant to copy, like an actor would impersonate a person. Imitate. So too, we imitate God. I want to thank Delena for that uh, good children's story and the application of these verses as we are journeying through 1 Corinthians we are now at the end of chapter 10 and beginning of chapter 11 here in our uh, our series we've been inspired sometimes we've been chastened by Paul as we've looked into his insightful counsel and we've reached this portion of scripture and where Paul concludes this section where he gives advice regarding a super hot question of meat sacrificed to idols. I know it's not a hot question for you. I know it's not a hot question for us today. But in his day, it was one of the dilemmas that the church was facing, and they looked to Paul for advice in regard to. And Paul says, as he concludes this section, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. We're not told to follow anything, Paul tells us. Imitate him, he's imitating Jesus. This passage, this verse and the verses before it, give us some fundamentals to our relationship, how to do relationships in life. And then it concludes with this foundational principle of life that we will talk about. But first, some of the fundamental core principles of relationship, how to do life together. The first fundamental is that, that Paul mentions in these verses, is that even if it's lawful, it shouldn't be something we do unless it's helpful. Even though it may be lawful, the question is, is it helpful? As followers of Christ, we're called to a higher standard than merely obeying a rule. There are many things in life that are within the boundary of permissible. There are many things in life that are legal, but they're yet beyond the boundary of what we would consider proper or helpful or beneficial when it comes to living the Christian life. As a Jesus follower, my code for right and wrong, my code for behavior goes beyond some written rule. Something may be expressly forbidden in the Bible or in society, but that's not all of the the, the details we follow. Society may say that something is is acceptable something is permissible but that doesn't mean that it's acceptable that doesn't mean that it's appropriate this is the way Paul puts it I have the right to do anything you say but not everything is beneficial I have the right to do anything but not everything is constructive here Paul is referring to a letter that was sent to him by the believers in Corinth that includes these words that they were saying I have the right to do anything And you can almost hear the voices of the members of the church in Corinth, this church family, that are saying these words, I had the right. At issue may have been the way that they were relating to foods offered to idols that were part of a ritual pagan sacrificial system in the temples in the city of Corinth. Archaeologists have discovered in the temple ruins at Corinth remains of the places of worship for 12 different gods. So Corinth was full of uh, food sacrificed to idols, and it tainted everything in terms of worship. And what was happening, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, some of the more mature members of the church in Corinth were feeling quite free about this issue. They knew that idols were nothing, they knew that there was. One true God, only one God. And Jesus Christ, he was not one Lord among many. He was the God. He was the creator God. Now before accepting, accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, some of these people had been regular worshipers at these shrines of idols. Their whole existence, their whole way of thinking had been tied up with what was, was going on there. These people knew very well the dark side and the mystery and fear and the sense that that came with this feasting associated with with eating and drinking this food given the food given to these gods. It was like taking life the life of the god himself as they took this the meat sacrificed to idols and then in addition to that, there was the the drink and the moral stupor that resulted and the boys and girls that were waiting around out back for whatever you wanted in return for just a little bit of extra payment at these temples. It was a horrible situation. And having lived around that, having shared in that dark but, but very powerful world for years, it was difficult for some people. Some of the worshipers, some of the people who had given their lives to Christ it was difficult for them, in their memory, in their, in, in their imagination, to separate themselves from, from the whole thing. Yes, you'd become a Christian. Yes, you'd been rescued from this world of darkness. And you loved the light of God. You loved his freedom and his forgiveness. But, but looking back, you had a hard time splitting the old world from the new world. You found it hard to say that this this bit was all right and that bit was still wicked. Others in Corinth didn't have that problem. They saw their way clear. They were what you'd call the strong-minded section of the church. And they came with a completely different framework. They didn't believe in idols. They didn't have a problem with these issues. They believed in the one and only true God... And didn't see anything wrong with eating any of these things that had been formerly sacrificed to an idol. And they felt they had the right. They had the privilege to eat this food and not to be subject to the scruples of these people who were less mature. And they did. They did have the right. Legally. They did. There were no rules that made this a forbidden activity. You know, there are many things that are permissible for us as Christ's followers. Many things that are permissible. If you just go strictly according to the Bible, the Bible doesn't say anything about smoking cigarettes. I haven't seen a verse ever about that. In particular, the police won't arrest you if you're a Christian And you're found with alcohol in your breath. The police won't arrest you for that. These things aren't illegal. But we have to ask ourselves, are they helpful? Are they helpful? Are they healthful? Watching TV, that's not illegal. In fact, you might say, I can be blessed by some of the TV programming that I watch. Video games. There's no law against playing video games. Neither is there a law against driving to Wild Horse Casino and gambling the night away. There's no law against that. You won't be arrested for that. You can vacate your wallet of every dollar bill each time you drive into a convenience store with lottery tickets. And no one's going to arrest you for that. You can fill up on popular donuts. Ha, <laughs> ha. Have you heard of that place? No. You can fill up with apple fritters and maple bars. No one's going to arrest you for that. You can spend your Saturday night watching classic movies on Roku. And every Sunday you can spend in theaters watching the newest releases. You can wash your car every day of the week, or you can never wash it. In its whole lifetime. There's no law against that or for it. You can spend your whole life gathering and saving every paper that comes into your mailbox. And you can comb yard sales within a diameter of 50 miles to add to your valuables and never end and never get rid of anything. And there's no law against that. You can disco one night and and line and square dance the next. You can endorse Matt Shea on Tuesday and attend a rally for Jay Inslee on Wednesday. And you can join a group that is meeting with Cliven Bundy. And his gun-toting, right-wing, malicious supporting sons against the U.S. Bureau of Land Management on Thursday and Friday. And there won't be a law against that. Be careful, though. (laughs) You can finish every dinner with two scoops of ice cream and a maraschino cherry. You can fill every break with a cigarette in a designated smoking zone. You can post a picture of your neighbor's cluttered backyard on Facebook. You can question the policies of the local government on Twitter. You can espouse extreme views on Instagram. And all these are legal legal. They're all lawful. You can be a free and functioning voting citizen of this country and do all those things and more because they're all legal. You can do many of these things and be a member of Village Church. But that doesn't mean these things are helpful. That doesn't mean that they're things that we should be about. There are are many things that are not expressly prohibited in God's word. They may not be out of harmony. With an express saying. In his will. But they work against others. And they're not good for others. They're not good for me. My words may be truthful. But if they're not help, helpful. And Helpful then it doesn't even matter if they're truthful. My actions may be permissible according to the letter of the law, but if they don't build up my brother, if they don't encourage a friend, if they don't bring hope to a beleaguered person, if they don't clarify or harmonize, if they only create contention instead of connection if they only create division instead of uniting then that word that movie that video program, that video game is not helping, it's shaping me and I have to ask the question is there a better way I could use my time is there a better direction that I could orient myself to? Whenever I'm with my extended family, my aunts and uncles, my cousins and whatnot, they're always interested in what I can eat and drink. They always wonder, am I going to have enough? Am I going to find anything in the, in the fare that's being offered? And I oftentimes find myself... To, myself saying to them, it's not a matter of can or can't. I can eat whatever I wish. No one is telling me that I can't. That's not why I don't eat it. It's a matter of my physical health because my physical health is linked to my spiritual health and that's linked to my emotional health. And I know that it's difficult to be a joyous, positive Christian when my body is struggling to survive the treatment that I'm giving it. That's the point. That's the issue. Because when my body and brain are working well, my emotions are more stable, my spirit is more gracious, so that food may be lawful. That drink may be lawful, but it's not a matter of lawfulness. It's a matter of helpfulness. Does it build? Does it restore? Does it uplift? Does it encourage? Does it clarify? Does it ennoble? Does it dignify? Does it honor? Does it bring justice? Does it do mercy? Does it inhabit humility? That's the issue. If a movie corrodes, don't watch it. If a word degrades, don't say it. If a bite or a drink enfeebles, don't put your mouth to it. That's the issue. The question, says Paul, is not is it lawful? Christianity is not a legalistic rule. It's not a group of forbidden activities. Christianity is not just doing what's right. Christianity is doing what's helpful, doing what's caring, doing what's supportive, doing what's kind. That's what Christianity is. That's Paul's first point. And his second point is similarly powerful. First, is it helpful? Is it constructive? Is it beneficial? Is it building? The second, his second point is this. Is my primary motive in what I do and what I say and what I'm about, is it primarily about me or is it about others? Notice his words, verse 24. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. That's a good rule, isn't it? As much as possible for you, for me, within my sphere of influence, I should act from a spirit of generosity toward others, not merely to benefit myself. So much of today is about self gratification. It is what do I get? What's my reward? Does this please me? How are my needs fulfilled? How does this complete, how does this content, how does this satisfy me? That's what life in this world is so much about. And I think we've probably seen it lived out to our illness over the last few weeks and months with the story of Jeffrey Epstein, that billionaire socialite that really has outraged us, hasn't it? I just am befuddled at how this wealthy financier could have hurt and abused so many young women for so many years with such impunity, with such a complex network facilitating this horrifying scenario and another group overlooking it. It's hard for me to even imagine it. He eluded prosecution for years, and he finally escaped public trial and punishment by ending his life. It's a degrading story of a sociopath, a perverse, sold-out person who's given to nothing more than satisfying himself. That's what he was all about. Now, I know that Epstein is definitely an outlier, Okay. But his self-centeredness is just so much a part of who modern society is today. It's the way the world works today. The world asks, how does this help me? How does this advance my person, my being? What connection does this give me? What does this relationship have for me in it? What does this car do for me? What does this house do for me? What does this watch do for me? This job, this, these shoes, all of this. And Paul calls us from this rat race of self-absorption to higher ground, to a different platform. Instead of asking all the time, how will this bless me, he says, ask this question. How will this impact others? Before I purchase my next item, I should ask, will this be a blessing to others? Or will it just be a blessing for me? Will this have a positive impact on my own life? Will it have a positive impact on others around me? It's more than just a question of me and mine. I have to ask the question. Paul says, how about others? So in my words that I speak, in the words that I write, in the words that go to Twitter or emails, in the words that are part of Facebook or some private conversation, are those words helping others? Not just me. What about others? How about the way I park my car? Yeah, even that. How about that? How about the way I drive my car? How about the way I spend my money? Or do I save my money? How about the way I entertain or recreate or work or play? What's my goal? What's my purpose? Now, Paul in these verses is talking about idol worship and the Christian connection there. It's all about meat tainted from pagan idols. But there were believers in that church who used to take part in this idol worship. And it was really too much for some of them. It was too much for them to handle. Now Paul is clear that this food that's been offered to idols is not now (coughs) off-limits. But It may be clear for him, but it's not for others. There's barriers in some people's minds. And those without scruples about this issue, he says, should be sensitive. They should be respectful for those who struggle. And so the application is clear. Life involves navigating all sorts of gray areas. Some people like to eliminate all gray and make everything black and white. They love absolutes. Other people are just the opposite. They love to explain away every absolute and say everything is gray. But neither is the case. It's true. There's more to a meal than calories. There's more to a car than transportation. There's more to to clothes and coloring or content. True Christian freedom means living not just for me, myself, for my own good, for my own pleasure. Being a Christian, free Christian, means living for the love and eternal well-being of others. My neighbor, my family, my friends, my community, for Jesus' sake. And that's what Paul reframes here at the end of this chapter. And he says it in the last verse of chapter number 10. He says, and this is a verse I'm sure all of us could repeat. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's one that we've had in our memory, isn't it? For forever. That's been a part of my mind. Whether I eat or drink, whatever I do, do it for the glory of God. We bring honor to God. We bring respect and esteem and importance that He is due when out of love we refuse to wield our own rights and we lay down our own freedoms in drinking and eating and whatsoever else in order to do what's most loving for others. That's Christianity, Paul says. Why? Because others matter. That's that's why. Others matter. And the progress of their faith, the eternal well-being of their person is impacted by me, by what I do, by what I say. And Paul says, that's important. And so he gives us a goal. He gives us an ideal to live by. And he says, let everything you do, eating or drinking, or whatever else is included, let it all be filtered through the most excellent way. And that is, do it for the glory of God. For the glory of God. For his sacrificial love. The way I look at it, it's really a lot like Jesus' summary statement when that young man came to him and said, How shall I have eternal life? And Jesus repeated to him the two great commandments: Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being, and love your neighbor as yourself. Sort of like Paul's one phrase here: Do all to the glory of God. That's Paul's way of, of saying it. Everything for God. Because if everything is for God, then everything is well, everything is good in submission to Him, and honor of Him, in obedience to His will. Do it for His glory. My ambitions today, my goals for tomorrow, my motives in action, what activates my words, what compels my, my interaction with others. Everything, everything for God's glory. That's what Paul says. Everything. And Paul concludes this Section by suggesting a plan. How can we do this? How can we do it all for God's glory? Imitate Christ. That's what he says. Imitate Christ. You know, I think it's a bit regrettable that chapter number 11 and verse number 1 begins with this statement, but because it really concludes Paul's segment that he's been talking about the last three chapters. And uh, he concludes his section... with with this verse in chapter number 11 and verse number 1, where he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Really, that's what Paul's been doing over the last couple chapters, is telling about his own example. He says, imitate me as I've imitated Christ. I read a story recently about President John Calvin coolidge the 30th president of the united states while president he invited some of the people from his hometown to join him for dinner at the white house now his friends not knowing the customs and manners that were expected in such a situation thought the best policy in this time and place would be to follow what the president does just do what he did in this meal so When it came time for serving coffee at this meal, the president poured his coffee into a saucer. It didn't make sense, but everyone thought he must know what he's doing. So everyone else had their coffee poured into a saucer. Then the president poured a little bit of milk into the saucer and added a little bit of sugar to to the milk and coffee. And all the folks from home did the same thing. And they thought for sure the next step would be to pick up that saucer and drink the coffee from it. But instead the president leaned over and placed the saucer on the floor and called his cat. (laughs) (laughs) We're not to follow everything. We're to follow Christ. Right? Imitate Christ. And Paul has so winsomely exemplified this. We've talked about this over the last few times together and the chapters in, in Corinthians are all about Paul's discussion of food and idols. And he said right at the start when we started into this section in chapter 8 verse number 13 if food makes my brother stumble I will never eat meat again lest I make, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul knew the issue for some people in the church and he knew that eating this food sacrificed to idol would would cause them to their their relationship with Christ to be challenged and so he was willing to set it aside for the rest of his life if that's what it meant for these believers Paul was never to, he was ready to never eat another bite of meat again for the good of others imagine that that's what he said and then most of chapter 9 is about what Paul would give up for the sake of sharing the good news with others. You can read it a little bit later. I was, you were blessed with uh, the, the, the sermon by Pastor Steve Wallachonis for chapter number 9 where Paul talked about all that he could have expected as a servant of Christ and an apostle taking the message to the churches, he could have charged them for his services. He could have expected his, uh, his per diem and his lodging to be paid for by them. He could have expected, you know, some benefit, but he set that aside and worked himself instead of charging the churches for what he'd done. He goes on to say, to the Jews he became like Jews, to the Gentiles he became like Gentiles because he knew the encumbrances of Judaism would create a, a roadblock for them. To the weak, he said, I became weak, that I might win the weak. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter number 8, verse 22, he says, I have become all things to all people, so that by all po- possible means, I might save some. Isn't that something? Paul's superordinate goal in life, more than anything else, was to bring glory to God. He did everything he could. He stopped at nothing to live in such a manner that God, the good shepherd, the gracious creator, the loving Lord, would be honored in his life, in all that he did, in all that he said. The ambition that activated his life and motivated his steps was the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ and wanted everything to be done for his glory. We've seen this all played out in these chapters 8, 9 and 10. But then Paul reveals this motivating ambition behind his life. Chapter 11 verse number 1. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. This is like the climax. This is the crescendo of the whole section. This is his credo of life. This is what moves him and directs him and guides him. He imitates Christ. He imitates Christ. He said it in many of his letters that he sent to the various churches. And I like the way he said it in Ephesians chapter five, verses one and two, he said, therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. There, my friend, is a credo worth following. Jesus gave us the perfect example And that example was that he gave up his life to give us life. And Paul says that's really the way it should work for us. That's how life works best. When he lives in us, we live through him and we imitate him and walk in love just as Jesus walked and gave himself for us. Yes, it's true that there are many things that are legal that are still not helpful. There are many things that merely focus on us, me and mine, rather than others. But Paul calls us to do life like Jesus, who didn't consider it robbery to be made in the likeness of human flesh, but gave up everything for us. All for us, for our future, for our hope, our salvation. And then he says to us, follow now in my footsteps. That's Paul's challenge to you, to me, and I don't know how, about you, how you feel, Village Church, but that's what I want to do in life. In my words, in my actions, whatever I eat or drink, whatsoever I do, shall we do it for the glory of God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this ideal that you've placed before us in Jesus Christ. An ideal that uh, challenges us to our uttermost, but also which fills us with the greatest joy and hope and and fulfillment because we know that you've done all for us through Jesus. And now it's a pleasure to do all we can for the sake of others in the same way that Paul did, that we might be an influence for good, for hope for healing, for help. And so, Lord, we're praying that you can use our words, you can use our actions, you can use everything we are, all that we're about. As Paul said, whatever we eat or drink or whatever we do, may we do it all for your glory, for your honor, for the building up of your kingdom. May that be our life theme, is our prayer. And we can only do it by your strength. And we thank you for giving it.